0: First Timothy chapter five, we're going to be in verses one through 25 this morning. <laughs> yep. But while you make your way there, I uh, just want to remind us of, of a key verse in first Timothy. First Timothy chapter three, verse 14 and 15, well, those two verses, they say, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, 1 Timothy three, 14, 15 he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things. To these things to you that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of a living God, a pillar and a buttress of truth. And so, as I've mentioned before, um, first Timothy is a letter of instruction to Timothy, who's, who's a young pastor in Ephesus. And, and Paul's point in writing is, is that Timothy would know as he's in charge what would be prioritized in teaching and, and in actual practical actions, uh, actions, not only in his own life, but in the life of the church. And so, um, As, as he is supposed to model that stuff, um, I'm obviously going to learn from it as a pastor, but we're going to learn as well on how to, how to, what, what do we prioritize in, in, in teaching and what do we need to be aware of? And we've talked about this stuff already, but also really chapter five deals with our interactions with one another. How do we minister to one another in the church and particularly how does pastor Timothy as an elder in the church, what does he need to be looking out for and how does he need to treat, um, different situations going on in the church? And so chapter five, Paul's instructing Timothy on how various people within the church were to be ministered to. And this is important because how we treat and how we minister uh, to, to one another testifies uh, to the gospel of Jesus Christ or it casts a shadow upon it. And you can all, you know, we've all failed at one point or another in this, but um, nevertheless, the standard is is there. And we want to um, glorify the Lord in our interactions with one another and how we treat one another and how we minister to one another. And so first Timothy five, Paul is going to list off various relationships that are important for Timothy to be aware of in the church. And you got to realize that that Paul is speaking to Timothy in the situation at a certain church and things were going on there. So he's, he has that church in mind, but we get to kind of look into that cross section and we get to see, Oh, well this applies to us today as well in certain ways. And so um, in first Timothy five, Paul is going to list off various relationships. And so let me just give you a quick overview of the whole chapter. Uh, in verses one and two, Paul is going to speak of ministering to older men and younger men and older women and younger women. How's Timothy supposed to regard them and teach them and train them being a younger pastor? I and mean, we can all relate to that as well. How do we treat one another? People who are older than us, younger than us, maybe the same age as us. Um, in verses three through 16, Paul addresses ministering to widows, a big issue in that church. And we'll go into that in depth. But in verses 17 through 21, Paul speaks about ministering to certain elders In the church. In verses 20 through to 25, Paul speaks about ministering to potential leaders in the church. And actually, Timothy ministering to himself, taking care of himself a little bit there. And so this is a cross section of the church. So Paul is just looking at Timothy going, man, I've got to download this stuff to this guy. So he understands what's going on, what's important. And so we're going to glean a lot into the spiritual heartbeat of this church. And so this is a cross section of the church. So let's go through these sections one at a time before we do want to pray. Okay. Father, we just want to thank you for your word. We ask this morning uh, as the weather's changed, things have gotten a lot colder and it's, it's a lot more uh, cozier outside, inside, Lord, and, and we're a little more sleepy. I pray that you'd wake us up in you and and I pray that our hearts would be stirred and that you'd speak to us, Lord, and, and cause us to see uh, the reality of how you've designed the church, of how you've called us to minister to one another in this place and in our relationships We pray that it would all glorify you, Lord. And so teach me, teach us, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so let's begin in verses one and two. Paul says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. Now, what's in view, view here is that Timothy has been charged with instructing and commanding and teaching the church. And we just read that Timothy's a pretty young guy. And so, um, we just read in, in verses chapter 411, uh, where, where Paul commands Timothy says, command and teach these things. So Timothy is like, he's in a corner. Right? Paul says, listen, I have just laid out to you as an apostle, what you are to teach the church command and teach these things. And again, in verse 13, Paul says, until I come, I'm just giving you a couple examples until I come devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. You can't get out of that, Timothy. You got to read the Bible to the church. Also, what else do you have to do? Uh, you have to exhort them. Let's come alongside and train and comfort and correct and rebuke, exhort all those types of things. It's like a coach. You have to do that, Timothy and to teach them that's to dialogue and explain things. And, and so Timothy had this awesome responsibility in calling in charge before God to command and proclaim scripture and to exhort and to teach the church. And as we saw at the end of the last chapter, Timothy is, is, is young, but he's also, he's really timid. He has a hard time actually leaning into the call that God's given to him. You figure pastor oh, pastors got it all together. No, they don't. Timothy case in point. And we're going to see again in second Timothy chapter one, Paul has to encourage him, man, fan that gift that God has given you lean into it, do it. Don't back away from the responsibility and the call that God's given you. But in that authority, within that same breath, in that authority given to Timothy, his calling as an overseer over the church, Timothy must have interactions with the body, and those interactions Paul lays them out, out them for here in the first couple of verses as he addresses these things. he's got to minister to them in a certain way. It's not that he's just called to teach and exhort and to and to do all these things. He has to do that in a way that glorifies God. And so he says here, don't rebuke, he starts off, don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. I'm going to spend more time on this first verse because it just, it's it's applied to all the, the verses, all the rest of the groups. Uh, to to older mothers, obviously it's the same kind of thing and to younger, younger brothers or younger sisters. And so I'm going to focus on this first one. Oh no. Just kind of hop over the rest. But the context here again is Timothy is called to teach the body of Christ. And with Timothy being young, there are going to be older men being instructed. Most of you in this room, uh, how many of you are older than 45? Yeah. Men or women doesn't make a difference. Older than 45. Okay, now let's pan the cameras. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Well, Timothy is is a younger leader here. And so he's going to be talking to a lot of older folks, older than him. Probably been walking with the Lord longer than him, a lot of them, some of them. But Paul tells Timothy directly that in his instruction to these older men, he starts with the men here. He says, do not sharply rebuke them. And that is what the word rebuke means here. Some of you actually have it spelled out in your translation, sharply rebuke. Some of you just have rebuke, but the word in the Greek implies a sharp rebuke. Do not sharply rebuke older men. Now, this is not saying that older men are not to be corrected. They aren't not, they are, That Timothy is to walk away from that, that he's not to teach them. He's just to ignore the older men because they're older. That would be a dereliction of duty. Timothy can't do that. But Paul reminds Timothy that this is a matter of not when you do it, but how you do it. It's super important. It's, it's not to be done sharply. That is with disrespect. That is with disrespect, but rather Paul tells Timothy that he is called to encourage the older men as he would a father. And the word for encouragement here is the same word that we kind of get for well yeah we do get for for the Holy Spirit which is Paracletos which is to come alongside someone, and so you are to come alongside these men and 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 this is where I get the view of a coach, a coach comes alongside some, someone and trains them. Correct. And sometimes they're, they're a little hard on them. Sometimes they're light, but they're always pushing them and encouraging them and all those types of things together. And there's a mutual respect that happens. You can disrespect people in that, or you can do it in a way to where they are. They they're respected and they learn. So Paul says, come alongside of these older men. Don't rebuke them harshly. And so the Holy spirit comes alongside us and he encourages us. He convicts us. He comforts us. Amen. Amen. And he teaches us. And so older men are not to be rebuked sharply. That would be unfitting for a younger man to instruct an older man in that way. Instead, Timothy was called to come alongside them and to teach them in the ways of the Lord. And, and we just read back in chapter four, verse 12, Paul said, this is not only to be taught, but it's to be modeled. Remember he said, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example, be an example to them, not only to teach, but you have to be an example. Come alongside them, show them what it's like to be mature in the Lord, show them what it's like to act like this. Not only show them, but teach them as well. But he says, make them be an example to them, Paul says, in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and purity. And so that's Paul says to Timothy in verse one, en- encourage them as you would a father. And we know the scriptures teach that we are to honor our fathers. And mothers, right? Exodus 2012. We also know from the Old Testament, Leviticus 19, 32, I'm only pulling out a couple verses. The Bible's riddled with this, but we're to respect our elders. Amen. As Christians, especially. And so there's to be this respect given as Timothy interacts with the older men of the church. Now, this does not mean that Timothy backs away from the truth. He must hold true to the gospel. He must hold true to truth. He can't play favorites, but he also at the same time, can't, uh, can't show, uh, can't back wave in truth. He can't show favoritism. He can't let things slide. He can't let things be an error because of someone's age, or he doesn't want to, you know, ruffle the feathers of someone older. That's that would, that would be wrong for him. But Paul says, it's like being a family member. You honor, you, you honor your father and mother and, your fa- and the family, correct? And how many of you agreed with your parents at all times? Right. But there's a way to go about talking with your parents that uh, is, is, is appropriate. And you come alongside of them and you encourage them in truth and maybe happen to see that they're, they can see it your way. And it might take a little longer, but you know how it works. And parents, I'm a parent too. So I understand the other way around. So Paul says to Timothy, it's the same with the rest of the body in Christ. Timothy was to treat younger men. And this is the other parts of the verse, younger men as brothers, uh, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. And so there's to be respect and courtesy and love and a leader's interaction with the church they serve. And so the older women were to be treated with respect like mothers, right? Uh, like you would a mother and younger men like brothers in the best sense in brotherly love. Right. And, and obviously uh, younger sisters with purity. And so that's how we're to interact with, with one another. And that's not only in my case, but that's in your case as well and how you are to interact with one another in the body of Christ. This isn't an example for leadership and not a model for the body. Oh yeah. This is just for us to do. You guys can act however you want. No, like this, is this is the, this is the, these are the house rules for all of us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Don't, don't, wouldn't you like to be treated with respect? Everybody, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And so we're working on that. Anybody else working on that? We'll let the Lord work that in us. And so this isn't just for pastors. This is a model for all of us. We're part of the body, a spiritual family. And we are to treat our brothers and sisters with this uh, respect and purity that's fitting before God. And so there's room for repentance in our hearts. Amen. And so the authority of the word is to be ministered to the body in a God glorifying way is the point. Now the next group of people in the body that Paul speaks to Timothy ministering to uh, about are widows ministering to them in the church. And these are a very precious group of, of ladies. I know we have several in, in, in our church and Paul, Paul. um, So there weren't as many social safety nets, um, In Paul's day. Uh, And so there was a lot more uh, taking care of of people practically, um, which we, which we need to get back to, but here's, here's the principle. Verse three says, honor widows who are truly widows. This is Paul's giving, giving the rule to Timothy says, Timothy, honor widows who are truly widows. And so Paul has something about honor in mind. And he also has something about truly and widows. Okay. And he's going to explain these things, but that's the, that's the key verse we need to understand all the way through verse 16 is that he is that Timothy is to honor widows who are truly widows. Okay. And that word honor means to treat graciously, to extend extra grace to them. And what Paul has in mind here is that the widows who were truly widows, we'll explain that in a minute. And, and uh, they were all alone, basically. Uh, They were to be extended grace in material and financial support, as we'll see in verse nine. So if you're taking notes, you just draw a line down to verse nine. And that's where it explains what this honoring someone is. You're taking care of them. And so, so this is a guiding principle as we go through these next several verses as Paul helps Timothy to discern who do you actually help out? Who do you extend this grace to? Who is the church to be supporting? Who's a widow? Because not all widows are going to be honored in this way. And he's going to explain why. And so verse three, honor widows who are truly widows verse four. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents for this is pleasing in the sight of God. And the church said, amen. Amen. Boy, we've got a breakdown in our society. And so there are some exceptions to the church helping widows. This is not the church saying, oh, we don't want to deal with this. They're saying there's a proper role and responsibility that isn't the, isn't primarily the church's, it's actually the family's responsibility. And that's what he's talking about here. The first one, pause in mind here, is that a widow who has children and grandchildren, think about that. A widow has children and grandchildren that is family. And the context here is that they are Christians. That's the idea here. They're Christians. They're within the church or they are Christians at large. Paul says that the responsibility for taking care of the widows lies with the widow's family. Is the family's responsibility to take care of family. Boy, it's got silent. Do we think like that anymore? It's interesting how other entities have moved in to take the responsibility, what God has designed for the family to have for fathers, for mothers, for widows, for the taking care of all these social nets, while they're a blessing in some ways, because there is destitute poverty in the world and America has not seen that. I mean, we talk about kids not having food. I mean, Yes, but you have not seen other parts of the world. If you have not traveled to these places where people truly don't have food and that has actually gotten better over the last 10 years or so, but the world, people have starved to death. There are people starving to death right now. Uh, That's, that's something else, but it is the family's responsibility to take care of the family. And when you do this, The family knows the inner workings of someone and they clean up stuff pretty quickly, usually, right? Okay. We'll get into this a little later. We'll move back from that. But Paul says, Hey, listen, before the church takes on responsibility for a widow, what about the family? What about the believers in that family? What about their sons, their daughters? And he's going to extend it to relatives. They need to, if they say they're Christians, they need to put on their Christian, you know, their Christianity, they need to put it into practice. They need to take care of their own family. This is what he's getting at. It's the children's responsibility to take care of their widowed parent, not to neglect that and to push responsibility onto someone else. Paul says when children or grandchildren learn to do this, And sometimes it needs to be learned. We might need to relearn that. Amen. It's okay. If you don't know that It should be intrinsic, but sometimes people don't know that you didn't have that example. You didn't have that model. This is, he says, this is what's, this is plea. It's pleasing to the Lord to take care of your widowed parents, to take care of your parents. And I would go beyond that, but this, we're just staying here. And so conversely, the other way around, it is not pleasing in the sight of God for children and grandchildren to shirk their responsibilities. That is selfish. And so Paul says to Timothy, honor those who are truly widows. This isn't saying that if someone has lost a spouse, they aren't a widow, but he's saying truly widows in the sense that they are destitute. There is no other help for them. It's not being pushed off by their family. I'll let the church take care of them. No, you take care of them. This is how you honor the Lord. Verse five, she who is truly a widow left all alone has set her hope on God. I'll come back to that verse, but that's the picture there. Someone who has no one and their only help is God. No one, no family, no support system, no one, they are praying to God. Just they're totally dependent upon God for their very existence. This is who Paul has in mind. When he says, church, you have a responsibility to take care of the widows among you who are in that situation. Church, you can't ta- you can't throw that to the side. That is your responsibility, but family, you have a responsibility to take care of your home. Christianity begins at home. Paul says, the widows, this is the widow to be on her. That is to be added to the list of those being assisted. As we'll see in verse nine, one who has no family and all, who is all alone. James says this, we, we, we all know the James verse. This is pure and undefiled religion, right? James one religion that is pure and undefiled before God. The father is this to visit orphans and the widows in their affliction. Now it's not limited to that. But he's saying, what, what do those two have in common? They can't fend for themselves. They can't take care of themselves. If, if not for the help and the mercy of others, they perish. he says, this is pure undefiled religion. You're not going to get anything back from it, right? You're just giving pure and undefiled religion. There's no other motive in there except for to love these people and take care of them. This is what James is saying. That's and to keep yourself unstained from the world, by the way. But the idea is that widows and orphans are those who can't take care of themselves. They're, they're helpless, no family. These are the ones that Paul has in mind here when it comes to supporting widows, not uh, those with family support. And again, you got to remember this is 2000 years ago in the middle East. So just do a time warp there, but verse five: she was truly a widow, left all alone. has has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. So this speaks of the godly character of the widow that is to be supported. She's one who is all alone, but her hope is in God. She is a woman of prayer, and she and she is crying out to God for her very sustenance. She is praying to God nine days. She is a woman of faith. She's totally dependent on God. She's a woman of prayer. This is the widow that is to be honored in this way. Verse six, but she who is self-indulgent is dead while she yet lives. And so there are widows who are all alone and who are destitute, who are actually are ungodly. I know this is going to cut hard, but this is why Paul, if you keep reading says, Timothy, you got to teach this stuff. A widow is self-indulgent. Paul says, this is a widow who lives contrary to the Lord. They aren't praying. They aren't seeking after God. They are living for themselves, for worldly pleasures and so forth. And Paul says she's dead even while she's alive. And that seems harsh. But what Paul is saying here is that, that she's spiritually dead, even though she's living. So just because a widow is all alone, doesn't mean the body of believers needs to support them. Isn't that interesting? I like what David Guzik said on this. It's a little difficult, but he says many who come to the church for assistance are in need because they have lived lives for pleasure of alcohol and drugs or whatever. Now they are in need of help and want the church to help. And he says, it's legitimate for the church to say no. It's legitimate for you to say no. Do you understand that? When people are living after the world, it's okay to say no, it's okay to not support and lift up and prop up and continue and perpetuate their destruction. You might be getting in the way of it, of what God would seek to do in their lives. Now, again, these are just, uh, and how many of this is just rubbing you wrong right now? I can feel it. This is not to be that we aren't to have moments of grace and help people and all that kind of safe, but it's legitimate to be able to say no in those circumstances. Does that make sense? We're We're obviously to love our enemies and be merciful. There's a lot of things to balance here, but what Paul's saying is that there, there were women who were seeking who were widows, but what they were doing is they were just using the church or everybody else as a means to just continue to do whatever they want. That was godless. He says, it's okay to, to be aware of that. They're, they're dead, even though they're living. Don't, don't support that. Verse seven in here, in, in notice young Timothy, this is the first thing he wants to, to teach everybody, isn't it? He just wants to get up and, 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 and share with everybody in the church. when a lot of people are hurting all this stuff. He wants to get up and lay down these ground rules that the apostle Paul gave him. Notice what does Paul say in verse seven? Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. Don't back away from it, Timothy. Yeeks! How'd you like to be Timothy at that point? Anyone else? How many of you have had to have a tough conversation with someone in your family or a kid or whatever it might be? Uh. Children and grandchildren. How would you like to go to someone's family? so a widow comes to you and says, I need help. And, and you ask them, well, what about your family members that I know, know the Lord? And they go to this church and stuff like, Oh no, I don't want to bother them. It's like, no, we've got to have a conversation with them. Well, that's getting in people's mess. Isn't it? Isn't it easy just to go forget it? No, I've got to go talk to them now and say, Hey, brothers and sisters, I want to show you something. Your Your mom came to me and she's, in need of help. And, and look what the scriptures say, that's your responsibility. Not that we aren't willing to help out. That's not the issue. The issue is, this is your call before God. This is what pleases him before you. Are you willing to obey him in this? Yikes. Difficult, pretty tough stuff, but it pleases the Lord. You see, that's what we're after. We're after pleasing the Lord. That's what's going to honor that widow. That's what's going to honor the Lord. Pretty tough stuff to communicate. In verse eight, Paul reiterates the importance of family taking care of their widows, widowed relatives, verse eight. But if anyone does not provide, so Paul doubles down here, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So, it isn't just the children and the grandchildren. Relatives are to t- take care of their own. See how he extends it out? To neglect providing for your own family, Paul says, that person has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. God is going to provide through you working. Get to work. Amen? Hopefully, that wasn't too sharp. Right? I don't know. You know, it's it's really weird right now. We're living in interesting times. This is a little sidetrack, but you know, I, I I jotted over to Montana for a wedding, and places were shut down in the middle of the day because they lacked workers. And it happens here. I mean, I was at a bank, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we're closed on Friday. We don't have enough staff." And this stuff is happening all over the place. I understand that the, the money is coming from a different direction, but man, we've got to really look at our, our ourselves. We've got to look at our hearts. We're going to die from within if we're not careful on all this stuff. To neglect providing for your own family. Paul says that person, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's a strong rebuke, right? Since believers are called to love one another, this is obviously begins at home. And secondly, Paul says you're worse than an unbeliever. In other words, pagans get this stuff. That was his thing: that the pagans understand you take care of your widowed parents, right? What are you doing in the church not taking care of of your of your widowed parents? This is, and you're worse than an unbeliever. You, you've abandoned the faith to love one another. I mean, th- this should be one hundred and one for us as believers, Paul's saying, so we don't throw off our responsibilities before the Lord, right? So it is our responsibility to take care of our widowed parents. It's not the government's responsibility. It's not your siblings responsibility. I'm going to qualify that. It's not the system's responsibility. It's not Medicare's responsibility. It's not hospice's responsibility it's your responsibility and those things can complement as they as they do in our society but don't assume cuz sister a's got it that you you don't need to be involved in your parents life get involved in their lives and i know there's a lot of junk there but this pleases the lord so don't push off those are conveniences for us to not do what we need to be doing the hard work of loving one another So don't throw off your responsibilities before the Lord. Now, obviously those other things can work with, with you. I'm not saying get rid of Medicaid and excommunicate your, your siblings and all that stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. Hope you get that right. Saying, take, take this before the Lord, realize your role before him and do it. Amen. 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 So having addressed family responsibilities, Timothy talks about, the church's role in supporting widows. And he says, now, Timothy, now that I've explained all this stuff to you, and I'm going to come back to it a little bit, but he says, verse nine, let a widow be enrolled. If she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children <clears throat> has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of saints, has cared for the afflicted and has devoted herself to every good work. And so Paul gives guidelines to who could actually get assistance what kind of widow would get assistance? So verse nine, he says, well, she, she has to be over 60. Now 60 was considered retirement age in the new Testament. Okay. For a lot of people. And, and, and if you're over 60, you tend to to be not be able to get remarried as much in that culture. and, And there was less mobility and not working and you weren't able to work as much, all that kind of stuff. So 60 was kind of like Paul's kind of just wise cutoff line said, listen, under 60 generally, just, just don't accept them over 60. Here's some qualifications for the situation. So 60, um, and if you're under 60, you could probably still work or get remarried in that culture. So that's what he gives. Uh, secondly, they had to be the wife of one husband. This isn't saying they had to be married to some people had husbands who died. They've been widowed two or three times because their husband died and they remarried in the Lord and they did it all right. And all that stuff. It's just saying you're a one, Husband kind of woman is what it was saying. In other words, you were faithful to your husband. Same thing is the same word as the qualification for the elders. Okay. That they're, they're faithful to their husband uh, when they were alive. Thirdly, she has a reputation for good works and he lists a bunch of them. Here's a good work ladies she brought up children, raising a godly family. And by the way, that, that word work is labor, toilsome labor. It is work being a mom. It is work being a wife. It is work taking care of a family. And it is a good work. It is a pillar of modern society. I Man, the day that moms, you know, they abandon that stuff, we are all doomed and it's starting to crumble. But wonderful. Don't don't let the world lie to you. It's a good work showing hospitality. That's kindness to strangers and towards those in the body of Christ, washing the feet of saints. This was literal in those days. And also figurative. In other words, she has a servant's heart. That's her character and has cared for the afflicted. <clears throat> the many were sick and she was often, you know, taking meals over or doing whatever, you know, driving people to their appointments. This kind of woman is this virtuous woman is devoted herself to every good work is the idea here. This all describes a woman woman of God, right? That's the one who needs to be honored. That is one who meets this criteria. The widow has spiritual character and good works to follow and meets these requirements. They can be supported by the church. Verse 11, however, but refuse to enroll younger widows. Why? For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to, to marry. That's not a bad thing to get married and so incur the condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. That's the key thing. Paul warns Timothy that there's going to be widows who are going to want to get on this list, but what's going to happen is they're young enough where they're just going to they want to get they want to get remarried. That's not a bad thing cuz in just a couple of verses Paul says, "I want to encourage the younger widows to get remarried and 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 to do that if that's God's will." But he's saying what happens is there apparently there, this list that they had, um, these ladies would just kind of be at the point in their lives where they're saying, you know what? I've had a family. I've been married. I've, I've had a husband. I'm not going to get remarried again. I'm just going to devote my life to the Lord and I need help. And so what it would happen is kind of like the church probably gave them, gave them the job of prayer. <laughs> That's kind of said, we'll support you. You, you pray for the church, you minister to the church. And that's what these, these devoted ladies did. But what happened is Paul's saying now that they committed themselves to that, what happened is they, they started getting pulled by all these desires that you would have when you're younger to be married and have kids and all that stuff. And they got, they would renege on their, their um, devotion to the Lord. And they would go back and Paul says, don't admit them. That's what he's saying. Don't, don't do that. That's going to cause trouble for them. He says, besides that, if they're drawn away by their passions, uh, not after the Lord, if, if seeking after their passions is their primary pursuit, verse 13, besides that, they learn not all some, as you will see in just a second, they learn to be idlers going from house to house and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So Paul's saying, listen, Timothy, be careful because you might end up supporting people who are ungodly. And if they're ungodly in these ways, you're just supporting mischief. That was his main point. Now, I'm sure there were opportunities where they needed to help people who were younger and they did. And there were people who were older that didn't necessarily meet the list, but they they did help them. That's, that's not what he's saying. He's just saying, Timothy, as a general rule, watch out for these things. So Paul says to Timothy verse 14. So I would have the younger widows remarry, encourage them to get married. If that's what God's calling them to do, to bear children, to manage their households and to give the adversary, no occasion for slander. Listen, when you're a mom, you're busy. You don't have time doing all this other stuff. How many of your moms were just busy growing up? I mean, you just were all about the kids. Yeah. 12 kids. Yeah. You can say that. Yeah. It's like, there's not a lot of time for all this mischief. And so Paul's saying, that's a good work. Let them lean into it. Encourage them to do that. And that's just Paul's sage wisdom. And so verse 15, he says, for some have already strayed after Satan. And so it wasn't that Paul was saying, I think that these, these ladies are doing that. No, Paul experienced that in the church. There were people who were going off and doing weird things. And he's saying in my experience as a rule of thumb, this is what needs to happen. So verse 16, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them, uh, woman or man, relatives who are widows, let them care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. That's the principle there. Does that make sense? Yes, obviously not. I've got to reteach it to you. <clears throat> okay. 15 minutes. Ready? Verse 17 let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. So he moves to a different guy, different group of, of people within the church elders, let the elders who rule well be considered with uh, worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching for the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the green and the labor deserves laborer deserves his wages. I was thinking about, we should probably slow down here and probably take five weeks on this. Um, no, I'm just kidding. The word honor here is the same word honor for widows. It talks about taking care of them financially. And he says here, the one who the elder who labors in the word, that is in in teaching and in preaching that they are to be have double honor. So basically they're all to be honored, but those who, especially those who labor in preaching, teaching, this isn't saying that all elders have to be paid. It's saying that those who rule well, and so some are going to be doing more than others by the nature of their freedom or whatever it might be, but some are going to be particularly set apart for the work of preaching and teaching and and ministering and pastoring. That's kind of my role in the church, but those who labor in preaching teaching. So here you have the biblical command for the church to provide for their elders who rule well. Uh, in particular, the ones who labor in and and preaching and teaching. I like what MacArthur says on this. He says, "Elders who serve with greater commitment, excellence, and effort should have greater acknowledgment from the congregations." That's interesting. He says, "So, so they well, they're, so they receive double honor. That doesn't mean double pay. It, it means they're to be taken care of for their labor." And the word "labor" here is is a is a different word. The labor the word "labor" here means to labor to the point of exhaustion. That's the word here. They labor in these things. And Paul backs this up by quoting Deuteronomy 25, 4. He says, uh, for the scripture scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wage. Uh, Guys, I just feel totally uncomfortable teaching on this stuff. I just want you to know, you know, but I've got to do it because here it is. Um, And so the picture is that even an ox gets to eat the grain that it's treading out. And that's the old Testament picture, right? The ox is going through the field and he gets to eat the things as he's going from the, from the thing he's working in. And so Paul says in, Paul, if you go to first Corinthians nine and you flip over there, please. First Corinthians nine, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Galatians. Yep. Paul speaks about his rights as a minister. Paul had rights as an apostle and ministers have rights. Although he and Barnabas did not exercise those rights. And that's his whole point in first Corinthians nine. He says, I have all these rights. I didn't use them. I want you to know that, but I have these rights, but I didn't use them. And his whole point is, so you can't say that I'm doing anything other than for the gospel. And boy, I think that's every minister's hope is that they wouldn't have to, utilize these rights the Paul says in first Corinthians nine, three through 12, he says, this is my defense to those who'd examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? As do the other apostles and the brother of the Lord and Cephas. So in Peter, So all these guys were married except for, and he says, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to re- refrain from working for a living? right? There's the biblical model for paying, paying your leaders or or elders who minister in the word and all that. He says, who, who serves as a soldier at his own expense, who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk. Do I say these things on human authority? Is this just my own good idea? No. Does the law say the same? And he quotes the same verse he just did for us. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out grain. Is God really concerned about the oxen? Is that what he's concerned? Is that what he's talking about here? Paul says, does he not certainly speak for our sakes? It was written for our sakes because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher should in hope of sharing in the crop. If we've sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim, the other apostles don't we have that right as well? Paul says this about Barnabas cause they weren't doing that. So that was in general. So Paul uses the same verse there to make his point that the church is to support their minister. Now these verses can be totally warped and you know, they go, Hey, you know, you need to double honor me, everybody. Where's my Learjet, you know, and all this type of stuff. <laughs> And all that stuff. Right. And that, this is, that's where people are just going way off. But, but there's a biblical thing saying, listen, you know, it's, it's good and it's godly to, to be able to pay your pastors. There's some churches who have the idea that no, they just need to suffer for the Lord. It's like, no, you're the ones who are going to help them be able to minister to you. And so that's a, that's a good and godly thing. So just want to say that, you know, from my perspective, just throwing this out there. Man, thank you for loving me, my family. Through the years, you guys have taken care of us, and we are honored and blessed. And so, I just want to throw that out there. This is not a plea for you to give more. <laughs> this is thank you for for reading this and taking this seriously, and, and and not only with me but the ministry here. God is so good. So, moving on from honoring elders, Paul moves to the discipline of elders. Ah, great. Verse 19, do not admit a charge against an elder, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, because elders are charged with teaching and correcting in church, there's a tendency for retaliation. This is just what the way it comes with leadership. And the enemy would use those tactics to strike down a leader of a church. And so Paul says, don't even listen to a charge brought against an elder by someone. So how many of you've listened to a charge brought against an elder or a pastor? Don't entertain it. Repent, turn away, turn a blind eye. Just Nope. Not going to listen to it. Don't entertain it. Repent from that. But there is an exception as there should be on the evidence of two or three witnesses, just like the rest of the church. You can't, you have to be brought And So well, Paul's going back to Deuteronomy 1915, where it says a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for wrong in connection with any offense that has been committed only on the evidence of two or three witnesses uh, shall a charge be established. This is why they brought false witnesses against Jesus. They paid them what to say so that this false evidence could be brought against Jesus and he would be tried and executed. And so no one is going to be condemned without evidence brought by two or more witnesses. This is the same process laid out for us in Matthew 18. You got someone wrong that's, that's wronged you in the church, go to them. So let's go to them one-on-one, right? But if what happens is if they go, nope, and they continue in their sin, you're to bring others. What you're doing is you're gathering evidence. <laughs> that's what's going to your witnesses. Do you see what I see or am I crazy? Does that make sense? Because sometimes you're crazy. So the other witnesses help out, right? Not just people who are going to want to hear what you want to say, but there's, there's serious situations and you go to them and go, what's going on here. And you bring someone else and they go, yeah, that's, that's what's going on. Let's bring some other people, go back to them again. Do you see what's going on? This is wrong. You need to repent. And if not bring it to the leadership, leadership brings it before the church. They're excommunicated. We've done that here. We've gone through that process. Sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes it takes a short time but it's no different for elders. And here's, here's the thing, but there's a protection in there. There has to be two or three witnesses. Don't just assume something is true, but guess what? As for those who persist in sin, you've got people who will not stop in leadership. Stop sinning. What do you do? You rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. This isn't, this isn't speaking about a, a person who, who blows it or, or, or says something or has a bad day or something. This is about persistent sin. They're stealing, they're cheating, they're doing whatever it is. They're not repenting, man, you bring them before the church and you publicly rebuke them. That need, that's what needs to happen. Why? So the rest may stand in fear because what happens is when you let leadership slide on stuff, that other people get handed on. No one respects the word of God anymore. We see this stuff going on. That's gone on. Let's say in the Catholic church or in Protestant churches where people just move people around and sweep stuff under the rug and all this stuff. They weren't listening. They weren't reading their Bibles. They, this, these people should have been brought up and done away with. And, and those people should have been gone to jail. So verse 21, how serious is Paul about this? In the presence of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. So you've been on an elder board for 20 years and you know, these guys and someone just is stealing from the thing. And all of a sudden you find out telling you before Jesus, before God, before the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, do nothing from partiality. Don't be partial. And sadly, that's what we see in, in, in these things. And so again, we aren't speaking about an elder being imperfect or sinning and repenting on some things, but we're talking about disqualifying sin of first Timothy three, where pastor and elder has been unfaithful to their wife or stealing from the church and so forth. We've heard about these things. This isn't, hearsay this, there's evidence, there's witnesses, this is going on. Timmy says, Paul says, keep these rules. And the priority is holiness within the church, holiness within the church, honor God above people. Amen. So which leads us to the next group. We're almost done. Do not be hasty in the laying hand on of hands. Don't. And that they're talking about the ordination service. Be careful about who you put into leadership of how quickly you do that. You're going to make someone an elder band. You better be really slow. You're going to put someone into leadership. Be really slow on that. Why does nor nor take part in their sins. Keep yourself pure. He says, you're going to want to be slow in that. It's too easy to put them up. It's too hard and detrimental to take them down. Be slow. Because when you do that and you don't understand what's going on in their life and you promote that to leadership, it's going to infect the church. You're going to participate in their sin. You're going to bring it to all the levels. Keep yourself pure. Don't be hasty, Paul says, next thing, take care of yourself. And he just throws this in here in the middle of what he wants to say. He says, don't drink water, just drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. And so, you know, unpurified water is not really that great for your stomach. So the alcohol would help kill some things. It's not like our wine today. It's just a. It's a minor grape juice kind of a thing he says, man, take care of yourself there. Verse 24, he speaks back to the discerning about leadership. He says, the sins of some people are conspicuous going before them to judgment. You know, it's obvious there's some people, but the sins of others appear later. Take your time, take your time. So also the good works are conspicuous, um, conspicuous, sorry. And even those that, uh, that are not can Cannot remain hidden. It's only a matter of time before someone who they really are is revealed. Take your time. (sighs) I made it through the whole chapter. I know it suffered. It was hard. Woo! (laughs) All praise be to (laughs) the Lord. Father, thank you so much. I know this is a lot here. I just pray in our interaction with one another that we be mindful of one another respectful, loving, kind, the fruit of the spirit would be evident. And Lord, there are those who are hurting and in a need and need help. God, we, we don't want to withhold any good thing from someone. Let us be led by your spirit. We pray that your mercy and your kindness would lead people to repentance so give us wisdom in these matters. And, and as we see the broken world around us and how to interact and how to help one another and how to treat one another, even in our fallen state, help us to be wise and with a wisdom Lord, that is yours, not ours, not worldly. And it's may it all be just in aligned with your truth. That at the end of the day, even though it might be, a tough decision or a tough conversation that would ultimately glorify you and reflect your heart. And Lord, we know we're not going to be perfect in this, but teach us as we go, teach us as we go, that your name would be lifted up, not only in what we say, but in what we do and how we do it. So we love you, Lord. Thank you for this fellowship. Bless, bless us as we go this week. May your name be lifted up. Amen. All right. God bless you, church. Thanks for bearing with me.